Hey y'all, it's Doug here. Don't worry, we're not going to be asking you for any money. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we're in the process of upgrading our audio equipment here at Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. So if today's episode seems a little bit less eh, professional than normal, then I hope you can forgive us. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with hopefully upgraded sound and production. Uh, And we are looking forward to a big, great, wonderful 2016. So bear with us while we're in transition. And now on with the show. Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Eric Roberts, fucking man Eric Roberts, the fucking man Eric Roberts is the fucking man Eric Roberts is the fucking man Eric Roberts is the fucking man If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can Welcome to episode 15 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the comprehensive examination of the life, career, and works of actor Eric Roberts. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as always, is the styling, profiling, limousine, riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, Todd Rigney. How are you today, Todd? <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Just, uh, just pretty good after that intro? I thought you'd be feeling great after that. Uh, you know what? I, I live with that that uh, that lifestyle every day, so it's kind of old hat. What I'm trying to say, Todd, is teach me. But uh, but we'll 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 get to that a little bit later. Todd, how has life been over the last two weeks, knowing that you are half of the most popular Eric Roberts related podcast on the planet Earth? Uh, that always makes me feel great. You know, I've been uh, advertising this show as being the number one rated Eric Roberts related iTunes podcast for a few weeks now. But the fact is, I don't know if that's necessarily true because we know, Todd, regular listeners to the show all also know that Eric Roberts himself has a podcast. That is correct. Or at least he has a radio show, which I imagine is available through some, <laughs> you know, it's, that sounds like some information we should probably know. But we know that he does have a radio show that he does with his wife. And uh, theoretically, that radio show was available on itunes and i can only imagine it's significantly more popular than this podcast uh are we the number one i would say that we are the number one uh that 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 covers everything eric roberts related i i can't say for certain what is on his radio show because i have only heard the one episode and of course uh, we have to listen to every episode of that show because we have made a blood oath to cover everything related yes uh i think we'll be able to maybe we'll contact his people and find out the numbers but i think i just to be on the safe side from now on i'm going to describe this show as the number one eric roberts related podcast not hosted by eric roberts that it's about eric roberts (laughs) yeah i think that's i think that's safe that actually might have been suggested in what i actually said before now Listeners of the show, longtime listeners of the show, have probably noticed that over the last few episodes, we've been on a bit of a roll. Uh, And in fact, as we rapidly approach the end of 2015, we, meaning Todd and myself, are dedicated to giving away, or giving you, sorry, giving you, the listener, the very best Eric Roberts experience on the internet. Better than Eric Roberts' own show by miles, I would say. Bigger guests, better quality, it's all going to be coming together. And as we move in that direction, today we have a guest that is entirely all quality so uh we todd and myself again we bumble about on this show and we bring on illustrators and podcasters and writers of note but occasionally we have to bring in a ringer someone to kind of make all of our listeners forget about the people who've come before <laughs> you might notice longtime listeners that we put we uh, kind of flick the reset switch on a semi-regular basis here but today we have an actual 
writer. Those other people, forget them. This time we have an actual writer, a Canadian writer, which puts them in an even higher category than just professional writer. Our guest today has contributed to Paste Magazine, Vice, Fandor, Sound On Sight, a multitude of other publications, and can be found on Twitter at Red Room Rantings. I'm going to get that Twitter plug in early. Today she's going to be ranting about Eric Roberts. So welcome to the program, Justine Smith. You have the most amazing buildup of any podcast I've ever been on. I like to, I, I like to help with the self esteem. If, if people don't come on to this show feeling good about themselves, then what's the point? I think. Well, I think Eric Roberts himself would endorse that. I think he is a very pro pro self kind of individual, and I think he would admire that. Um, Up with people, I, Eric Roberts says. Exactly. Um, I do worry though that you over overbuilt me. <laughs> Because I am, I am from um, not everyone's favorite province. I'm from Quebec, so we have we haven't had a great hit writer in a long time. So it's not like we're like turning out Margaret Atwood's over here. Wow, uh, you know, I think that maybe some of our American listeners won't understand what you mean about Quebec not being the most favorite province in this wonderful nation we call Canada. To me, it is. It's like top ten for me. It's right it's- up there. It's definitely, well, it's my favorite. Yeah. Without question. I just know that we're kind of an underdog. And we kind of have this this new Max Landis thing where we can't <laughs> help, like, going into the conversation be like, we know you hate us. And that makes you hate us more. It's a vicious cycle. Vicious. You're, you're embracing the hate. I like that. I can appreciate that. I'm from Newfoundland. So believe me, I know all about embracing hate. Yeah, you have it rough. I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Justine, tell me about Eric Roberts. What's your Eric Roberts history? Uh, it's quite limited. Mm. I think 2015 is the year where I really went full force into oh. Eric Roberts. Uh, even before this podcast, uh, I saw the Coca-Cola Kid for the first mm. time. Um, late last year, I saw Star 80. But really, I think I've seen like six or seven of his movies, which is less than one one hundredth of his career or mm. something ridiculous. Yeah, so pretty limited. It's um, uninitiated. I would say limited, but you've hit some of the major highlights. Your Star 80, your Coca-Cola Kid. Um, Now, in terms of a movie that has been released, say, over the last 20 years, (laughs) have there been any Eric Roberts movies you've seen that have been released recently? I Well, aside from the one we're discussing today, I think I've seen some of his music videos. Oh, where, what, what is your favorite? I do have to ask. Oh, I can't remember which. I was actually, I was talking to my dad about this, and I couldn't remember what it was. I said it was Mariah Carey, but I don't hmm. think he's in a Mariah Carey music video. He's actually in two Mariah Carey music videos. Oh, wow. which is the one where he's getting, where there, is it the one where he's getting married to Yes, her? that is okay. the one. That's the one that's my favorite, because it's the only one I remember. That's interesting. You're going back into the vault for that one. Now, I know, Justine, that you are a big fan of music videos. In fact, I believe you started a Twitter feed just for the visuals of music videos. Is that correct? That is very correct. Very recently, because I need another hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't hurt. I haven't featured any Eric Roberts yet. That It hurts to hear that, but I know that in the future you absolutely will be doing that. And it's funny that you mentioned the Mariah Carey video, because I think a lot of our recent... Uh, guests, they're all focused on either one of two videos, I think, either the um, the killer's Mr. Brightside video or the recently released Rihanna Bitch Better Have My Money video, which seems to really have intrigued a lot of people. I get people messaging me all the time to like, have me on the show to talk about Bitch Better Have My Money. Um, but uh, what I really need at some point in this future 
is to have a music video expert on to run down every Eric Roberts music video. I know Todd's really excited about that. You love music videos, right, Todd? Oh, man, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so I'm all about the music videos. What's your favorite music video, Todd? My favorite? I was always big on Janie's Got a Gun by Aerosmith. Oh, Jesus. oh Brian De Palma, right? No, uh, David Fincher. David Fincher, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. No, I guess that, I mean, that is a, a quality video. Who played Janie in that video? Uh, that is, I, I have no answer to that it's one. All right, just putting you on the spot. Justine, what's your favorite music video? My favorite music video? That's a really difficult question. Mm-hmm. Shoot. Um. Sorry, did you say Shoop by Salt and Pepper? <laughs> I do like Salt and Pepper. Um, I don't know if they've had any really iconic music videos, though. Uh, I don't know. That's like, I've never, no one's ever asked me that before. And now I feel like I'm, I just don't have an answer. Well, we're going to sit here until you say, come up with an answer. Can I say, bitch, but I have my money? <laughs> yes, of course. Even though you've already mentioned that it's not your favorite Eric Roberts related video. Well, I actually forgot he was in it. What? How did you forget? He's like the star of that video. I mean, I've watched it many a time, so I know this for a fact. I don't know how I forgot. I, maybe I was just blinded by his magnificence. His magnificent hair. That usually is what blinds people, I found. He has amazing hair. Hmm. It's like David Lynch level good. I think we got to stop talking about anything but the latest Eric Roberts news on The Roberts Report. That familiar Roberts Report music means that we need to get into the Eric Roberts news of the last two weeks. The biggest news, and I hate to put myself first, but the biggest news in the Eric Roberts verse over the past two weeks actually involves me. Yes, your intrepid co-host, Doug Tilly. I was featured on a blog here in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, which is where I live, where they uh, decided to interview me about my love, or at least you know, grudging respect for Eric Roberts and the Eric Roberts podcast in which I co-host. Uh, if you actually want to get an idea of the philosophy behind why I actually host this podcast and why I decided to create it in the first place, then you can go over to PeterboroughCanada.com and, and read up on that. Of course, I'll link that in the show notes as well. But enough of my ego, enough fluffing of my ego. We need to talk about over at the website called Electronic Urban Report. There was an announcement that was certainly not written by the person in question called Marcus D. Spencer, uh, Big Spence, that's what they say his name is, finds role in Fair Chase. And uh, you can check out the poster for Fair Chase in the show notes today. And I do have to say it is one of the most incredible posters I've ever seen. It looks like, you know how uh, we all have the ability to... I mean, you might not have the skill, but you certainly have the ability to edit photos using some sort of photo editing software like Photoshop. Well, if it was, say, 20 years ago, and maybe you were using Photoshop 1.0, then you could certainly do a job better than the poster for Fair Chase, which does include Mr. Eric Roberts in the cast. Now, I did read over this stupid press release because it was very, very interestingly written. I'm just going to read right from the beginning of it, just a small quote. In Bay Area News, four producers came together to create a masterpiece called Fair Chase. In this film, Tony D. White, played by, oh no, sorry, Tony D. White, star of a film called Why She Cries, Ramesses' head from Watch Phoenix Rise, Marcus D. Spencer, as we've already mentioned, from Set Me Free, and Eduardo Castrillo from The Last Wolf of Izo, put their heads and resources together to make something 
definitely worth watching. <laughs> that, that sounds like I wrote their press release. Uh, it's definitely, like I said, this is the, probably the first time I've ever encountered a press release that sounded sarcastic about their own movie. Uh, but uh, it, it actually is a fairly... Um, I don't know how polished the final result is going to be necessarily, but it has some decent sized names in it, including uh, uh, Miguel Nunez, uh, Nunez Jr. from Joanna Mann and, of course, Return of the Living Dead, as well as the regular now pair of Tom Sizemore and Eric Roberts. So you should keep an eye out for the Marcus D. Spencer starring Fair Chase at some point in 2016, along with 200 other Eric Roberts movies. Now, previously on the show, we talked about an upcoming horror movie called L.A. Slasher. Well, L.A. Slasher is no longer upcoming. In fact, it'll be hitting store shelves and VOD on December 8th, just in time for Christmas if you want a little uh, stocking stuffer. If you may recall from an earlier episode that we talked about the very interesting-sounding cast that includes... Brooke Hogan, uh, the daughter of Hulk Hogan, Misha Barton from The O.C., Dave Bautista, uh, Andy Dick, Drake Bell, and of course, Eric Roberts. And it's some sort of kind of social satire horror movie, and I'm sure it's terrific. I really, I mean, how could it not be with that cast? But I do have a small quote from The Hollywood Reporter, which described it as, only slightly fresher than a retiree's typed-on onion skin screed <laughs> to the local paper about the state of pop culture. It says that Martin Owen's L.A. Slasher sets a masked doofus loose on a town he cleverly dubs Holly Weird and its fame-obsessed, talent-free denizens. So um, I won't continue on with that review. It isn't very complimentary. But if you do want to check out L.A. Slasher, it will be available very soon on VOD. Todd, are you interested at this point, later on now in the podcast, in L.A. Slasher? Uh, Yes, actually. And no joke, I am actually looking forward to that one. Okay, why no, is no. that? You got to give us a little bit of a reason. A reason? Uh, I really like shitty slashers, and mm, well, uh, I'll tell you, you're in the right episode. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, how can you pass up something with Brooke Hogan and Andy Dick? Now, Justine, I, I just, of course, I just you can't write think about a reason not to. Now, Justine, you write about much higher class uh, level of films than we're talking about right here. Do you have any interest in L.A. slasher? Actually, yeah, I love trash cinema, and for the reasons that were mentioned, just to see Brooke Hogan and Andy Dick in a movie with Eric Roberts, I'm sold. I love shitty slasher movies. They're basically the coolest of the shitty genres. Well, that's, it's interesting to hear you say that, and it's interesting to hear Todd say his own love of shitty slasher movies, because it will play into one of our features today. And, uh, and I should mention, by the way, that the movies that we're going to be talking about were picked by Justine, so I'm going to have to ask her why she decided to choose what I would consider two very, very different <laughs> movies. Both starring, of course, one Mr. Eric Roberts. But we'll get to that in just a second, because there's so much more news to talk about. No, there is not new uh, hashtag speedball news, unfortunately. I did write on their Facebook page saying that we want the news. We want to know what's happening with their Fast and the Furious meets Paintball low-budget movie that may or may not be coming in 2016. I'll let you guys know as soon as I know anything. But you guys listen, uh, sorry, you guys enjoy the website College Humor, right? Justine, do you go to collegehumor.com? Uh, occasionally. I think I just watched their weird new thing with Paul Rudd, which was kind of fun. Oh, they do have a weird new thing with Paul Rudd, and they also have a new web series, or it's not really, I mean, it's some sort of 
web series amalgam that's going to be uh, released specifically on Verizon's mobile-only network called Go90. And this will be an expansion of an earlier web series called Fatal Decision, which follows Josh Mullen, an underpaid and underappreciated IT tech. He's also an aspiring filmmaker who shoots action movies, casting himself as an unstoppable super CIA operative. The odd twist comes in because Josh does all the filming for his movies at work during office hours. Todd, does this sound exciting to you? Not really, but, you know, it's Whoa. got Eric Roberts in it, so. How do you know that? I, I guess I have to watch Roberts it. Is in it. We don't know if Eric I, Roberts is in it. Why the hell else would you be talking about it, Doug? Well, you're right. You're that, You caught me once again. <laughs> That's really good because you're right. It does have not only Eric Roberts. It has appearances from Jake Busey, of course, the classic <laughs> pair with Eric Roberts. Christina Hendricks is also going to be in it. Tom Sizemore, of course. <laughs> Best friend, I guess, of Eric Roberts. And the wonderful MC Ganey. And also, Reginald Vell Johnson will be in an episode, perhaps playing a police officer of some sort. <laughs> I can only guess. Uh, but, of course, we we love Reginald Vell Johnson. What's that famous Urkel quote that, uh, that we all know and love, Todd? Uh, <laughs> did I do that? Yeah, there you go. Now, finally, on the Roberts Report, <laughs> finally, on this edition of the Roberts Report, uh, recently added to the ever-expanding IMDb profile or IMDb filmography of Eric Roberts is 2016's You're Gonna Miss Me, which is unfortunately not a biopic of Roki Erickson, but instead is described as a southern fried comedy film with heart and soul. And I got that from their Twitter page because there isn't a lot of information on the IMDb uh, page at the moment. It was previously known as Colt Montana, but has changed its name to You're Gonna Miss Me. I do have to say that it has a rather interesting cast, including uh, ex-guitarist John Doe, uh, the Dukes of Hazzard's John Schneider, and of course, Eric Roberts. Hmm, You're Gonna Miss Me. Todd, are you gonna miss me when I'm gone? Of course, man. Who else am I gonna do this stuff with? Nobody. That's right. <laughs> I'll just be talking to myself in a room, alone right. and sad. We'll be monitoring this one very closely and let you know all about the You're Gonna Miss Me news that I'm sure is upcoming. But that's it. That's the end of this week's Roberts Report. And we got to get down to some nitty-gritty. Justine has chosen two Eric Roberts films for us to discuss this week. And they are two masterpieces of cinema is the only way I could possibly describe them. First, we're going to be talking about 1981's Raggedy Man, starring Sissy Spacek. And then we're going to move on to 2014's Camp Dread, a slasher movie of note because it stars one Mr. Eric Roberts. We're going to take our first break. We're going to listen to a little bit of music. We're going to listen to the trailer for Raggedy Man. And then we're going to come right back to chat about it. of the nation. Now, she's the talk of the town. 
Academy Award winner Sissy Spacek is Nita Longley. The eyes of Gregory, Texas are upon her. Situation. I'm a divorced oh, woman. What's going on, Nita? Nobody's on Easy Street. Oh, yes, sir. I know that, but I've got two fine young boys to think about. She's a divorced woman, honey. She ain't got nobody. Would you like a cup of coffee? The rain will slow down out there a little bit. What's a little water to a sailor, anyway? Let me get you. No. No, this is just the way I like it. A few episodes back on Eric Roberts' The Fucking Man, we discussed one of his very first major roles, that is, from The King of Gypsies. Just a few years later, he was a star on the rise, and that uh, star found its way into the film Raggedy Man, starring Sissy Spacek. Uh, Very interesting film. Uh, I'll give a a short plot summary here for those who haven't seen it. It actually is a little difficult to track down these days. I think if you want to grab it on Amazon, there's like a collection of Sissy Spacek movies that are probably the the cheapest way to do so. It's about Nita, a divorced mother of two boys who's stuck working as a telephone operator in a small Texas town in World War II. Her friendship with a sailor on leave causes tongues to wag in that town. And if you're guessing that Eric Roberts plays that sailor, you would be 100% correct. Uh, The film itself was directed by Jack Fisk, who has not actually had a very interesting uh, film career. He did go on to direct the horrible comedy, Daddy's Dying, Who Got the Will, (laughs) but has become a notable, in fact, an incredibly notable uh, production designer, working on uh, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, and actually has become sort of the regular Terrence Malick production designer, working on all of his recent projects, including The Tree of Life. Uh, And in fact, if you're heading to see The Revenant upcoming, he's also the production designer on that. So yeah, he's kind of the the number one guy in that category. Uh, And also the film was written by William D. Whitliff, who also went on to write Legends of the Fall and the Lonesome Dove television series. But I got to start with a really complex question. Justine, why did we watch Raggedy Man? Um, Well, I was looking for contrast primarily in the choice. So... (laughs) We're going to talk about Raggedy Man, then we're going to talk about something else that is as far in the left field as you can go. Um, I'm really curious about the early 80s, and I had never heard of Raggedy Man, which is surprising because I'm a huge Sissy Spacek fan as well. Mm. Um, and the title is just so... It just seems ill-advised. So I was kind <laughs> of intrigued um i really didn't know very much about it except that it had eric roberts sissy spacek and had a bad title um and that's really the only motivation in choosing it now with that in mind i'm going to throw it over to todd for a second before we get uh, uh we get justine's reaction todd what did you think of raggedy man uh, i was i was uh pleasantly surprised by it i, I like sissy hmm. spacek too quite a bit but uh i'd never heard of this one at all until uh it showed up on our schedule, and uh, surprisingly, although there were some tonal issues towards the end that were kind of bizarre, overall, I thought it was pretty solid. Uh, and going back over to Justine, Justine, does the movie live up to its title? Is it any good? Uh, no, I don't think it's that good. I think it's okay. like... Wow. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it has moments. Uh, I think it has beautiful production design. I'm not surprised uh, that Fisk is one of the great art directors of Hollywood. Um, my suspicions are that Sissy Spacek was coming right off of uh, her Academy Award nominations 
Um, she was in a contract and Fisk is her husband. Mm-hmm. And I think she set him up for like, he's like, I would love to direct this book I just read. It's really fantastic. Can you hook me up with this? And that, that's kind of his. I don't think he's a great director. Um, totally all over the place. Really cliche. Uh, saved again by production design and really fantastic performances. I don't think it's an awful movie. I would recommend it to fans of any of the actors, but it's the story is just not, it just doesn't come together. It's probably unsurprising that Jack Fisk is a, was Sissy Spacek's husband because uh, she is not just the heart and soul of this movie, she's pretty much the whole show. Uh, the movie from beginning to end is really focused on her character, which is actually fairly refreshing. It's not what I was necessarily expecting, especially with that title. Um, both of um, my co-hosts today mentioned the tonal issues with the movie. And there's a very good reason that they brought that up, because this movie has a very strange tone. It begins as what seems like a interesting, slightly comedic uh, slice-of-life romance and it eventually turns into what can only be described as a horror movie, especially in that final 20 minutes when you have two redneck killers tracking down people on this property and they eventually get slashed uh, by, by a <laughs> character who at that point was just kind of hiding in the shadows. We'll talk about the ending in just a second. But, uh, but yeah, it kind of gives you tonal whiplash. Uh, Todd, what did you think about the kind of the more horrific elements in the movie? The tonal shifts, I didn't really pick up on too much until the very end. I knew something as soon as uh, William Sanderson shows up at the beginning, I knew that he was going to be a fucking problem. Because, I mean, <laughs> the, the guy either plays like, you know, the really harmless dude or somebody that's just going to fuck your day up completely. So I knew right from the get go that there was going to be something horrifying with him. And uh, it kind of like signposts that right from the get go. But, uh, you know, I, I I handled everything until those last 15, 20 minutes, and then it just – I was kind of taken out of the whole thing. Now, you didn't enjoy the movie, Justine, not very much. Uh, was it because uh, – mostly because of those tonal shifts? I mean, did you at least enjoy, say, one part over the other? Did you like the romantic element more than the horror element? Um, I did like the romantic element, actually, the most, I think. My problems were really the the raggedy man himself, which does figure into the final act. Um, when I finished watching the movie, I actually had to go back and rewatch the opening sequence, which takes place before the film, like I think four or five years before the movie actually starts. Mm-hmm. And it did not really clarify very much. Um, Sam Shepard is also in the movie. Barely. <laughs> Uh, with some, the, I said the production design is good, but the, I don't know if the makeup is that great. <laughs> um, the t- I actually didn't mind the kind of shift to this weirdly horrific, like straw dogs esque ending. Um, it just doesn't make very much sense in terms of story because they didn't really clarify the importance of the Raggedy Man at all. Like it just that part just doesn't make sense to me. Like like the more I think about the movie, I went, I actually force myself to rewatch parts it just doesn't make sense and that's where i get really frustrated i actually i think i fall somewhere in the middle uh of both of your opinions in terms of my reaction to the movie i thought it had a lot of really nice texture for that time period and i think the the two children in the movie one of them played by henry thomas from et i think they both do a really good job and usually children actors just drive me up the wall I think the performances from kind of top to bottom are really strong, and a lot of the first half of the movie really works for me. And I thought it was kind of moving in that direction. It's about a small town where there's a bit of a scandal where you have you know, a single mother of two 
in the 1940s during World War II. She's kind of forced to do this job that is uh, very time-consuming and very taxing. And then this kind of uh, this this young man kind of falls into her life, and they develop a relationship together. The really strange thing about this movie is how little of that plays in. To those final 20 minutes and how it kind of it it's like it's taking elements from an entirely different script and i think at this point let's actually you know it is from 1981 we'll put a little spoiler alert out there because listeners may be wondering why the fuck is this movie called raggedy man well there's this raggedy man in the movie <laughs> and he's kind of appearing um outside i mean creepily all throughout the movie outside Anita, played by Sissy Spacek, her window all throughout it. You see him around the house. Uh, he's actually a known entity in the in the town in which he, he, he she lives. He's always kind of pulling around a lawnmower. He's like that creepy old man in Home Alone, right? Where he turns out at the end. It's very similar, actually. Now that I actually said that out loud, it's exactly the same. <laughs> we thought that he was salt in the streets with the bodies of his victims. But no, he was actually some sort of heroic gentleman at the end. So what happens is, because their advances have been spurned, uh, spurred, sorry, um, the William Sanderson and his uh, dopey friend, they basically go to her house, Sissy Spacek's house, to ra- rape her. I mean, it's horrific. And uh, they are felled by this raggedy man who turns out to be, shock horror, her husband who she ran away from at the very beginning of the movie. I feel like the lesson that that teaches us is a confusing, if not horrifying one. Uh, Justine, what was your immediate reaction to the ending? You said you went back to the beginning. Were you just kind of thrown off or was it just confusing to you? It was just confusing. I mean, I understood. I Because of the name of the movie, right? The movie is Raggedy Man. And the central ideas are a romantic and she keeps referring to this ex-husband um, and their kids are always asking about her father. Um, and when you get to the ending, he's kind of deformed. Like he has like that weird eye. Like, his mm-hmm. eye is, like, bulging out, like, and it looks like he's been burned, and he has this lawnmower, and he goes, like, he kills them with, like, he kills the at least one of them with a sickle, like, in the yeah. back. Really, like, pretty out there. Um, and I'm like, well, and then you kind of, it's a, like, I, I'm like, okay, well, it makes sense that it's her husband, but then they only introduce it in the bus. She's like, oh, your father, he's like, but daddy must really love us, right, mom? And she's like, yeah. And then so I'm like, okay, I go back to the first scene and it's Sam Shepard, not deformed or not like wounded, um, dancing with another woman uh, with her, with the baby and the smaller child, which was like Elliot from E.T., just young. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That was the only interest. She's like at home, lying in bed, waiting for her husband to come home. He's not there. So he brings the kids to see at the bar and he's dancing with another woman. That's the introduction. That's it. It's it's, you know, it's interesting that you, you telling me that now, of course I saw it, of course I watched the introduction, but I, rem- I forgot by the time we got to the end almost every major detail about it, and now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh right, that was the introduction. That doesn't, that doesn't illuminate anything about the end of I the mean, movie. I mean, they hint at things, like she's, they, he's like, where's your husband now? She's like, oh, I think he may have gone to the war, but that also doesn't make sense. To, okay, I don't know as much about American military history, but the movie is set in 1940. So this is before Pearl Harbor. That's right. So they they keep referring to the Philippines and other things. So I I just like it's part of it is like my historical blindside. Like I don't really understand the full American involvement in the war at this point either. And that was another point of confusion. But that 
lies mostly on me, I guess, but they kind of, like, at least the way the movie establishes itself. It's, unless, okay, now maybe I'm misremembering, sorry. (laughs) I'm wondering if the title card for 1940. I think that might have been at the very beginning. Yeah, it may have been at the beginning, which would explain everything, but not everything. It doesn't explain everything. It explains my confusion. Well, this is my understanding of how it happens. So she leaves her husband because he's cheating on her. Or if she's he's just dancing with another woman. I think there at least is an implication that there's some sort of strife there because of him um, gallivanting around, let's say. And then she moves somewhere else, I guess, uh, to raise her family, uh, her two children, and takes this terrible job. The war uh, kicks up into high gear. Her husband goes off to war, gets his face all fucked up, and ends up coming back. Does she know the whole time that that... Ra- no, but remember, because she calls the police at one point. Yeah. Because, so, so is the suggestion that she did not know the Raggedy Man was her husband, even though the Raggedy Man was a known entity that's, in the town in which she lived? That's how I understand it, that she did not recognize him. But it never explains the point of realization. Like, you see her, like... Uh, touching his hand after he'd been injured and then dies. But you don't have that kind of like cathartic moment being like, oh my God, this is my husband. So it it's still left ambiguous. It just doesn't make any sense. It, like you see like the, my problems with the story. It's just like the more you explain it, the there's like they're missing scenes. It's like maybe the movie was two hours long and they cut out half an hour, which would explain everything. Could be. Todd, were you as confused by this as Justine and myself? Um, you know what? I, I had a feeling early on that the Raggedy Man was Sam Shepard when Sam Shepard is on, you know, he's he's got a high billing in it and he didn't show yeah. up anywhere else. I kept, <laughs> well, where the hell is Sam Shepard at? And then I figured, oh yeah, well, if he's not going to be anybody else, he's going to be the Raggedy Man. So I kind of put two and two together pretty early on because I was looking for Sam Shepard. But uh, you know, narratively, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the fact that the movie is called Raggedy Man when he plays such a minuscule part in the story, which is what I thought was the romance between Sissy Space Six character and Eric Roberts. For me, it could have uh, began and ended there, and it would have been a solid movie. Everything else at the beginning and the end just seemed kind of like it belongs somewhere else. And I don't know if there's if this is something else if if this is something that's covered more in the novel that they just decided <laughs> to excise for whatever reason. But yeah, I don't know. It, it was uh, it, it's definitely got some issues. But overall, I, I kind of liked it. Should we maybe be interpreting it on a more symbolic level? Uh, the Raggedy Man being the part of her past that she needs to leave behind in order to move to San Antonio and to find a better job and a better life for her and her family. I mean, at least on some level, that's of course how we're supposed to interpret it. But maybe uh, maybe the Raggedy Man himself is, is not something we should be taking quite so literally. Because in the context of a very realistic feeling movie, for the most part, it's a really weird kind of comic book element maybe comic book is a little bit of an exaggeration but it does seem really kind of over the top it's uh, kind of like that dark man we, element to it <laughs> yeah right right but also like i said it's got a really kind of strange message if you interpret it as being based in reality right which is that you know <laughs> yeah for one thing the idea of this man who has to be watching her at all times turns out to be her savior is a kind of an uncomfortable idea uh, and also, why the fuck is like he's like watching his family? What is he thinking when Eric Roberts shows up? <laughs> like, 
Like, I mean, not that, you know, it's not any of his business, but, I mean, he, he was staring in through their window while all that stuff was going on. It's just a really kind of strangely um, positioned in terms of the plot. And uh, I would have to think that the, the maybe the novel elaborates a little bit on that. But we have to talk about things that are a little bit more important, such as Eric Roberts in a sailor suit. Uh, <laughs> Justine, what do you think about Eric Roberts in a sailor suit? I actually think he's fantastic. He looks really good here. You see why he was such a heartthrob in like, that yeah. period of his career. I mean, this is just around the time of Star 80, and it's a vastly different performance. Like, vastly. Um, mm-hmm. And he's... He's very charming. He plays that kind of boy next door sailor who's super polite. Like he calls everyone sir, madam, thank you. Um, And he pulls it off, which is difficult. Um, But he's really holds his own against Sissy Spacek. And she is maybe one of the greatest actors of her generation at the height of her career. Um, I, I can't help saying that I wish the movie was just about their kind of romance. Mm -hmm. I'm totally on the same page with Todd in that sense that it would have made so much more sense if you kind of excised the beginning and the end and you focused really on the scandal. um, And even if you have still the bittersweet of her asking him to leave and them not being reunited, I think that would have still been a very fitting ending for the film and a fitting ending to the relationship. And it would have made so much more sense. One of the things I like most about Eric Roberts' performance in Raggedy Man is that it's a true supporting performance. Uh, he, he, One of the things about his Star 80 performance, and especially in The Pope of Greenwich Village, is that he has so many physical ticks in those movies that you almost can't take your eyes off of him when he's on the screen. Here, he's playing a very kind of straight, uh, a, a very kind of simplistic character in a lot of ways. Young, a little bit naive, but very kind of good-natured and really wanting to be a quality good person. And he could easily have brought some of those ticks, even at this early stage of his career, that would threaten to over um, overblow the character, but also to kind of envelop Sissy Spacek's character, which is really supposed to be the heart and soul of the movie as a whole. But he doesn't. He really supports her character, which, again, it makes it a little bit easier to swallow the end of the movie, where he really just vanishes entirely. And you are left wondering, where does that relationship, will it continue at some point in the future? Maybe not, maybe... We just don't know. And I mean, I, obviously that is part of it. But I do think his performance here is really different. Uh, not just different from Star 80, but really different from the kind of performances he was giving at that time. And yes, he was a very pretty man. I mean, he really was an attractive young man. And um, and you can see how... Um, you can see how much of a departure it would have been for him to do Star 80, where he both... Uh, plays up some of those qualities, but also has to really kind of uh, hit hard on the more scummy, creepy elements that he could bring to a character like that. Todd, Eric Roberts, Raggedy Man, what do you think? Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I thought it was a fantastic performance. He dialed it down, considering the range of characters that he played from like 1978 to 85. Uh, I thought that it was perfect, and I loved the chemistry between uh, he and Sissy Spacek. I totally believed uh, their situation, and I, I was really honestly blown away by uh, how toned down it was, the whole thing. Yeah, certainly up until the, the end. They, they got rid of Eric <laughs> Roberts so they could, uh, they could, they could rank up the, the tension a little bit. Todd, I got a question for you. <laughs> There's a scene sure. in the movie where the two kids go out to the outhouse, right? 
And, right. and they're like knocking something against the the edge of the uh, of the the poop hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, I can't remember what. Why do they do that? They are checking for spider webs. Right. I thought it was rats. Right. No, they were checking for spiders to around the uh, the shithole. Right. The shithole. I said poop hole, but I appreciate your uh, candor. Um, <laughs> Okay, that's good to know. I mean, again, I, I, unlike you in Kentucky, uh, Todd, I haven't grown up wow. having to go to outhouses. <laughs> that that is low hanging fruit. My low friend. hanging fruit, and I do have to say, as uh, Justine will confirm, I come from the Kentucky of Canada, so believe me, <laughs> uh, no, no one's going to be taking my side on this one. Um, so yeah, so we've already talked about the supporting players. We've talked about Eric Roberts in some amount of detail. Uh, Raggedy Man, it seems like there's a bit of a mixed response. I, I again, I fall somewhere. In the middle, I think it's it's a worthwhile movie to a point, but it really loses itself in those last twenty minutes. Even if they do set it up and we do get that creepy William Sanderson character, and we know he's going to play into the ending, I think it takes it in a direction that's almost a little too dark for the material they were working yeah. with before. But now we get to the part of the show that everyone looks forward to most, where we have to decide whether Eric Roberts in this movie is the fucking man or not. So uh, I'm going to start with our guest, Justine. Does this movie confirm or does it deny the title of this podcast, which is that Eric Roberts is the fucking man? I think it definitely confirms he's the fucking man. I think it's a fantastic performance. And when you were kind of talking about him earlier, um, I wanted to mention the scene they introduce him where he's talking on the phone with Sissy Spacek in the other room with the little window Mm. is some of the best acting I've seen in a long time. Um, just on the acting, he's the fucking man. Uh, he looks amazing. He's the fucking man. He, as a character, is a really nice dude, so he's also the fucking man. It's a, it's a tr- triple fucking man from Justine. Yeah, uh, triple fucking man. Triple fucking <laughs> raggedy man here on the Eric Roberts is the fucking man podcast. I agree, actually, and I'm going to jump in front of you here for a second, Todd. And I'm just going to say, yeah, he's the fucking man here. He does his job admirably, but he also holds his own, as Justine mentioned, with one of the finest actresses of her generation, and uh, really one of the finest actresses, period, in Sissy Spacek. And uh, I will say that one of the things that hurts this movie the most is that once Eric Roberts leaves it, uh, it feels like there is a hole in the plot. It feels not, it's not a plot hole, but it is a hole in the movie as a whole, as a whole where you really, <laughs> you really feel something missing from those final half hour, uh, 20 minutes or so. And again, with the tonal shift, it really becomes something a little difficult to, uh, to, to really enjoy. Todd, fucking man or no? I'm going to have to say fucking man all the way on this one. <laughs> It's in that area of Eric Roberts' career where there's a lot of fucking mans, don't you think? I would say so, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it really is from that time period. I mean, when you think of things like King of the Gypsies, Star 80, uh, Raggedy Man, and uh, re- right up to Pope of Greenwich Village, right up to Coca-Cola Kid to some extent. And in fact, let's stop for a second. Justine, what did you think of Coca-Cola Kid? I think it's not a great movie, but uh, Eric Roberts is fantastic in it i think that's pretty much what we came down upon in our episode on on the coca-cola kid it is the first eric roberts movie i ever saw as i've stated several times on this podcast i watched it on showcase remember the television station showcase i think it still exists here in canada 
Yeah, I think so. I don't have basic cable anymore, so I'm not sure. Me either. And that's the, I, the only thing I miss about it was watching showcase. Again, Newfoundland has a weird time zone, so it's uh, watching movies at like 1230 at night, hosted by Chaz Lothar, maybe watching Overdrawn at the Memory Bank with Raul Julia for some goddamn reason. Just weird Canadian content. It's the first time I saw Hardcore Logo, first time I saw Clerks on Showcase Reminiscing. That's the first time I saw Crash, David Cronenberg's yeah. Crash. On showcase. They used to play a lot of really interesting. I mean, Cameron Bailey hosted movies for years on uh, on the showcase review or whatever it was called. Todd, do you have an equivalent television station that you watched religiously as a child? Um, uh, I wa- <laughs> I watched a lot of HBO and USA. I, I I lived on USA up all night and USA Saturday Night Nightmares. So yeah, that that was probably it for me. And that's how you turned out the way you turned out, Todd. Yes, it is. And as a quality transition, I'll say that the kind of person you turn into would probably appreciate our next feature, which we'll be talking about after this break. I'm not going to take the break yet. I just want to mention that it's called Camp Dread. And it's from 2014, a slasher movie. And I know that both of our guests today, or my two co-hosts, I should say, they both really love slasher movies. So this should be right up their alley. We'll find out all about that after this. Future stars. It was either this, jail, or rehab for all of you. While you're here to work on yourself, there's the opportunity to have some fun and win a million dollars. We're a bunch of screw-ups, and we get a shot at a million dollars. I'll let anyone throw a million bucks at me. God bless America. Three dozen cameras in a two-mile perimeter. They get everything. You're gonna need a wider lens if you're gonna get all of this. And you just heard the trailer for 2014's Camp Dread, starring Daniel Harris and one Mr. Eric Roberts. has a very kind of um, interesting plot revolving around a reality show, sort of, that's being put on by the uh, director of a series of slasher movies from the 80s. He's bringing in a lot of kind of troubled early 20s people to a campground, having them perform a number of tasks like a reality show. Uh, but the idea is that they're somehow going to turn this into a sequel to one of the summer camp, that was the name of his franchise, movies that uh, or some sort of reboot that he's working on. I apologize if that sounds a little bit confused. I would read you a long summary, but I don't feel like it. And also... This movie, to me, is actually a little bit confusing in terms of its structure. Uh, That said, it does have all of the slasher movie tropes that you know and love, and in fact, uh, in some ways, is a both a uh, tribute and send-up of a lot of those tropes. Uh, There are some familiar faces, including Felissa Rose from uh, Sleepaway Camp, if you are familiar with that movie. I certainly am. Uh, But, uh, you know, it, it 
provides a lot of those slasher elements that you would expect. There is someone stalking these people and killing them for real and doing it in particularly violent ways. Now, uh, Justine knows that I decided to uh, basically confront the director on Twitter (laughs) and ask him what it was like working with Eric Roberts on Camp Dread. And in fact, the director, Harrison Smith, was nice enough almost immediately to respond, in fact, and he said that it was an absolute pleasure that the crew loved him, and that he had a great sense of humor and kicked ass in the role. Well, Harrison, that is not for you to decide. That is for us to decide. Now, of course, this is a podcast called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, so it could be a bit of an easy touch, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. First, Justine, you said that you picked uh, our two movies today because of, uh, of how different they were, both tonally and also in terms of content. Obviously, this is from many years later, uh, 30 three years later. Um, why did you decide that we should watch Camp Dread? Um, aside from the reasons already mentioned, I am a huge horror buff and I don't watch enough B and or straight to video releases. So I thought this would be a nice change of pace and uh, would be, it's actually a strangely fitting double feature with Raggedy Man, mm-hmm. um, taking into context the previous uh, film's weird tonal ending um they're they're actually quite similar in that way yeah yeah it was it was it was actually kind of funny to notice that because i did watch these movies chronologically uh and and when the horror elements of raggedy man hit i was like oh yeah that's it's almost like a slasher movie funny enough we're going to be talking about another slasher movie um now uh, i should ask you justine have, have you seen sleepaway camp previously Yes, I have. Okay. So we might talk about that in just a little bit. But before we do, uh, Todd, I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about, uh, I almost said Club Dread. What did you think of Camp Dread? Uh, <laughs> yeah? It's not mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies, let's put it that way. Um, oh, well, let's please elaborate on that a little bit. I, I, I found it uh, cinematically quite ugly. This guy, Harrison Smith, follows me on Twitter. I'm sure he's probably going to rescind that if he listens to this. Uh, Cinematically ugly, characters unlikable. There was a weird... uh, uh, The the homosexual jokes were a little much. Mm -hmm. Seemed to take like a... a, a, I don't know. It was just bizarre. And just overall, man, it was just... It was boring. Uh, (laughs) All of the kills were like pretty much smashed at the end of the film. The twist was... Lame, but did I enjoy watching it? Yeah, I had a fucking kick. Oh, that's interesting. Now, just to elaborate <laughs> a little bit, Todd, when you say that the movie looks ugly, what do you mean by that? Uh, just cinematically, the way it's shot, it, it looks flat. It's shot on probably like the cheapest digital camera the dude could find. Um, it, it's just ugly. Like it's just all the way around ugly. Like um, the, the the color correction is ugly. Uh, it, it's just it's just bad. It's, it's just typical low budget direct to video digital horror. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm certainly not disagreeing with you. I'm trying actually to get a handle on why it looks as bad as it does. Um, yeah, I can't I can't figure that out either. It was shot on a red camera. I mean, it, it looks like it had a really? reasonable budget. It it you know what? The whole time I was watching, it, I was thinking that it felt like that they had an image and they were like zooming in a little bit on it, so everything looked a little more pixely and grainy yeah. and uglier than it should have but maybe that's just the impression i was getting from it and maybe that's just you and in fact i haven't given my thoughts on the movie as a whole yet uh, let's go to you justine what did you think of the movie you picked for us to watch camp dread i think objectively it's a far worse movie than the raggedy man <laughs> 
um, on almost every front. But I think I would rather watch this movie again than I would watch Raggedy Man. Um, it's trashy and it's artless, but it's kind of fun. It doesn't make any sense. Um, just like some of this, like it's ridiculously offensive in a lot of ways, but then you have like the last word thing. Mm. Like I, that is going <laughs> to stick with me for the rest of my life. Like you don't know just saying it's last word. I'm going to do that. And people, my lo- people, like my loved ones are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm going to take the time to explain it because it's amazing. It's like Eric Roberts at his most alpha male, just being like last word, like, Camp Dread. <laughs> Just Pretty e- okay. Last word. <laughs> well, I'm afraid I'm going to continue to speak anyway. Uh, Justine, when I was just trying to describe the plot, I was having a little bit of trouble. So uh, maybe you can elaborate on it a little bit for me. So the idea is that these 20-year-olds, sorry, 20-something-year-olds, have all been brought to these campgrounds to take part in uh, what they think is some sort of variation on rehab or something along those lines, but actually is a reality show that's being put on by, by a former horror movie director who is trying to get a reboot of his franchise off the ground, and he wants to turn the footage, or he's going to use this reality show as a way to gain interest in the reboot? I am a little confused on that point as well. I, I mean, up until that point, I understand that these are people who didn't sign up to be on a reality show. Right. Except for, obviously, maybe the mole. Let's see. <laughs> um, they end up on a reality show where they can win a million dollars. They have to do these competitions, but they also understand that it's sort of an homage and or a reboot and or a weird audition for his new version of the movie. Um, but at the same time, they're, if they, if this is the part that makes me really confused, if one of them quits, they all lose (laughs) like that. There's, there's so many weird details. Like this is something we need to focus on. And I find that more funny than I do frustrating (laughs) because it's like, it, why on a reality show? It's like this person quits. Everyone loses. I guess it's to Like it's supposed to, uh, elaborate that like, this is kind of, rogue maverick reality television that he never really says who is supplying the million dollars and like there's all these like veiled secrets and there's obviously a real murderer there's so many characters so because they have to kill off so many people it's it doesn't it doesn't focus on logic basically there are a lot of characters in this movie and they fill out every archetype you can possibly think of there is the joker uh who is an asshole there's the asshole, who's an asshole. Uh, there's the sort of nice guy, who is less of an asshole than those other two. There's also, there's a uh, horror-loving, gothy uh, woman. And there's, uh, uh, of course, the uh, token lesbian. And there's also uh, a, a damaged girl, I guess you would say. Lots of different types of characters who will all meet their ends in various uh, messy ways. Todd, what was your favorite kill in the movie? <laughs> do do we want to jump straight to the end? We're not going to jump to the end. No, we have to hold off on the end for now. So let's say everything before that. I will. We are going to spoil this for a second because I feel like the ending is actually the most interesting part of the movie. But uh, but I want to hear anything before that jump out at you as a decent kill. Uh, not really. I guess the uh, the arrow to the to the head was interesting. But the thing with the movie is like they they want to 
make you think that they're all about the gore, but they, they linger on it so briefly, but yet what you see is so over the top. Who is your favorite character, Todd? My favorite character? Um, I, I would have to say uh, the uh, scumbag director played by Eric Roberts because <laughs> none of the 20-something characters are likable in any way. What about the Joker? That guy, he was having a good time. Uh, no. No, no. Not in this movie, I'll tell you. No. Uh, I did mention briefly before that this movie does have Felissa Rose in it. And those of you who are aware of Sleepaway Camp, I suppose I shouldn't spoil the ending of that movie. It is one of the most famous horror movie endings of all time and features Felissa Rose in that moment. Uh, Sleepaway Camp is a movie I actually have a lot of uh, love for. I've seen it several times, including on 35mm fairly recently. Uh, and, and I really do love the texture of it. But one of the reasons that that movie works so well is that it uh, it features real children. I mean, people uh, of the ages of like 12 to like 14 to 15, it has a bunch of kids acting like kids, a.k.a. acting like total assholes the whole time. And for some reason, I find that a lot more interesting and a lot more real than watching people in their early 20s doing the same thing. And I also really have to put up front here, and I'm going to say it again because this is hardly the only slasher movie that Eric Roberts has been in or will be in, that I am not a fan of slasher movies. I just don't enjoy them very much. It's weird. I'll, I love uh, uh, Jello films, uh, and I love horror in general, uh, and I love the best slasher movies, or I love certain slasher movies, I should say. I just mentioned that I enjoy Sleepaway Camp, and of course I love Halloween, and uh, I love uh, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but I even like some of the junkier ones as well. But as a whole, I find that the tropes of, uh, of the slasher genre is something that I just get tired of extremely quickly. And this is, aside from a very complex plot and a lot of characters, a fairly by-the-numbers slasher movie. You know, you got a whole bunch of people, they get knocked off one by one. There's a sort of mystery to who is doing it. And in fact, I shouldn't say it's sort of because the mystery, uh, I didn't realize there was really a mystery <laughs> until like three quarters of the way through the movie, just because there was just so many people to dispatch. Um, but when it gets down to it, it actually did take me to by surprise. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you for a second, Justine. We mentioned, uh, Todd and I were just talking about how the movie's a little bit ugly looking. Did you think the movie was ugly looking? I know you said it was artless. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not technically proficient. It, it doesn't bring anything to the table. So I say artless because it's really um, utilitarian. Mm -hmm. um, it's like they take advantage of every ass shot they can possibly get, which I don't mind necessarily. But I do think there's like, there is a, there's a weirdness where it's like the color correction is off. Um, like, I don't know if it's out of focus, but right. there's something, some of the shots just don't feel polished. It feels rushed. Maybe they don't have enough money in the post-production. Sure. I'm not sure, but it just, it's very amateur. Um, I mean, I, this is the kind of thing we live in an age where the cameras do so much of the work where a lot of people get by because their cameras are worth so much money and it kind of cheats, but it can only cheat so far. Right. And I think this movie is really a victim of that. Um, it's either a victim of inexperience or lack of like funds mm. uh, or a combination of those things. It, it doesn't look good. It, it, there's nothing about it that is exceptional or even that interesting. I think the parts that I like the most have little to nothing to do with the way the movie actually looks. And that it also includes the production design. It's not that innovative. It's not that exciting. Um, for a slasher film, 
I wouldn't say it's particularly great with the gore. It's not that memorable. Um, I really like the kind of cheesy dialogue. Like, that's what gets me. And Eric Roberts being Eric Roberts. Now, who was your favorite character, Justine? Well, aside from Eric Roberts, <laughs> um, I liked the girl like she's the I, like I, the, there's so many of them i know um, i like the girl who had the nice butt you know what i'm talking about and the, oh, yeah. and the way she, she she's introduced in like the most mean-spirited way where she basically demasculinizes that other dude yes. saying like are you gay bi or curious and he's like oh i'm straight man and she's like yeah no it's just like it's so ridiculous but i kind of liked her just because it's the synthesis of the, like everyone in this movie is a dick everyone and i think she was aside from Mike roberts the most interesting dick um yeah yeah like i don't know like it, it no one is that great of an actor in this and nobody is that charismatic uh so it it's really it's it's not an easy choice and not because everyone is great yeah, you mentioned the, the, the lack of production design. This was filmed in a real summer camp, and that is clear right from the very beginning. But of course, just because it's filmed on a real summer camp, it's not like there are no quality-looking or quality uh, production design uh, featured in movies that are filmed at a real summer camp. In fact, uh, as I mentioned, Sleepaway Camp is actually a pretty attractive-looking movie, even though there are a lot of poor actors in it. One of the things that confused me the most about Camp Dread was that Felissa Rose, her character in the movie was supposed to she was supposed to have been an actress on the uh, on the original horror movies that uh, that they're uh, rebooting in the movie itself um but she also afterwards was apparently she became a therapist or some sort of group <laughs> counselor but yeah. whenever she has those scenes in the movie she comes off as someone completely inadequate <laughs> for, for that kind of role uh i, I don't mean her performance uh, necessarily she's okay uh, but but the the fact that she's supposed to be some sort of counselor to these people, but she's just reinforcing all these horrific things that they have to do all the time, or hosting some of their challenges, like the American Gladiator Challenge, which is just about two people, again, uh, uh, gender mixed, uh, beating on each other with those big sticks, like on American Gladiators, until one of them falls into the water. And in this particular movie, that culminates in one of the characters... By the way, we only see two characters ever play this game. One of them trying to drown the other one. Um, but uh, you think you think something would... You think it would have occurred to one of the characters at that point that maybe something was up. But, uh, but I do like the fact that part of the plot is based around the idea that some of these people are so greedy that they'll never clue in to the fact that uh, that they're being so manipulated. Uh, if for those who do like the idea of a horror movie mixed with reality television type structure, uh, the movie Wrong Turn 2 is actually terrific. I know that sounds weird coming from me because I just said that I don't particularly care for slasher movies, but it has uh, two things which I really love. It's uh, horrifically violent and it has Henry Rollins in it. Uh, and those two things alone are enough to get me into uh, onto my couch to watch a movie. But it's actually a really great movie on top of that. Wrong Turn 2, it takes a lot of actually the ideas from this movie and does them significantly better, I would say. Which is not to say that I did not enjoy Camp Dread. I enjoyed it for what it is. And in fact, that's all you can really enjoy this movie for. The violence isn't particularly impressive. Uh, the dialogue is ridiculous, as Justine has suggested, but it isn't... Uh, memorable. I can quote any lines outside of Eric Roberts' dickishness that Justine has already mentioned, but it is uh, fun. 
you know, it's fun because you know what's going to happen up until the very end. And that's when we get the twist. It seems like every horror movie these days, especially slasher movies, has to have some sort of twist to culminate everything. And we're going to spoil this movie, and I really want to mention that right now. This movie's only from 2014. Uh, The last time I was in a video store, and I don't get into them very often, they actually had this movie on the shelf. So I know it's actually available to rent in places. So uh, if you feel like you are not going to... um, uh, you're not going to check this out at any point in the future. Please continue, or if you don't care about uh, spoilers, then please continue. But otherwise, jump ahead about ten minutes or so, and we'll be past the spoiler talk. But aside from that, let's spoil this fucking thing. I was surprised by the ending. I thought, because I'm cynical, that the nice guy was going to turn out to be the killer, and he was going to kill the nervous girl. But uh, <laughs> that's the only way I could describe her. I can't remember any of their goddamn names. Uh, but instead, it's the other way around. She ends up being the murderer the whole time. And thinking back, I don't know if that makes any sense. It probably doesn't. Let's start with you, Justine. What did you think of the twist? It's bizarre, but it it's it kind of works. Um, I think that the only moment in the movie that made me jump was the first scene in which they're going around and explaining while they're all there, and she just screams. Yes. That's the only time I jumped. It wasn't because it was scary. It was because it was unexpected. And the twist that she's the killer, I love that they kind of do a uh, like a high school uh, she's all that moment where she kind of takes off the glasses and then it turns out she's super hot too. <laughs> she's like, she's a killer, takes off the glasses and super hot. It's, it's almost poetic. I, I really like the ending. Um, it's definitely the most... Uh, original part of the movie um, doesn't make sense necessarily. Um, I mean, I like I can't think of an examples that it contradicts, so maybe it does, but it just doesn't feel correct. It feels like oh, no one will expect this, and let like and not in a way that feels right. Like it's it's really hard. Like the tone is so bizarre. Um, I'm really not explaining myself well, but it's kind of like you think it's this. We're gonna give you something that's so unobvious. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. And the fact is, we should mention, there's actually multiple killers in the movie. There's actually a guy who has been basically acting like a psycho right from the beginning, the person who tried to drown that girl. He ends up being someone who's killing people as well. So you can probably explain away, say, the idea of a very muscular, large man with one leg having to fight off a a woman who's probably five foot one and uh, 100 pounds soaking wet, and and that is supposed to be believable. But again, if you have another character in the mix, it probably excuses a lot of those moments. Uh, I do want to talk to you, Todd. What did you think about the ending, and could you also explain that kill that you were going to mention before? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, story-wise, I had checked out long before <laughs> the ending rolled around, so when it came down that, yeah, yeah, the, the disturbed girl is the killer, I was like, you know what, fuck this. Um, it's almost over anyway. Oh uh, but I will say that the uh, the severed head slingshot was probably, hands down, the coolest part of the entire movie. Girl takes the takes a giant slingshot, goes, she cuts off this guy's head, puts it in the slingshot, pulls it back, and uses it to kill another person. It's 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 genius. I do like that they established that slingshot earlier in the movie. <laughs> Using a reference, I mean, I'm sure some listeners know what I'm talking about, and they reference it in the movie that I think it was on, I guess it was Survivor, where they had these giant watermelon slingshots, and a woman pulled it back as far as she could, let it go, and then the watermelon came right back at her own head and just 
it just exploded on her face. And it is astoundingly entertaining to watch, even though I'm sure it, it fucking hurt because a watermelon is pretty... I don't know. Like, I haven't held a severed head in a long time. So uh, I don't know if necessarily a watermelon would be more or less damaging. But you got to say that skull is probably going to yeah. do the job because she ends up killing a guy. She ends up breaking a guy's head with another guy's head, which I thought <laughs> was pretty interesting. Um, the only thing I, I... I don't know if I dislike this about the ending or not is that I felt like it was trying like the movie was trying to say something and that it would even play into a lot of that emasculation uh, at the beginning of the movie the the kind of weird sexual politics that they're playing around with the, even the idea that one of the characters was basically being sent uh, she was gay and she was being sent to be deprogrammed by some sort of uh, Christian style camp and at the end you have this girl who's been traumatized, uh, and the, the the nervous girl, the one that we've been referring to, her story in the movie is that she was actually raped by her older brother, and she ended up killing him. So obviously she's been through some traumatic experiences involving men. And then you have these two male archetypes. You have this extremely alpha male asshole, and then you have this nice guy, in quotation marks, who's also kind of an asshole, but certainly more of a nice guy than the other guy. And I thought it was going to end with both... The psycho being just a psycho, just like you'd expect, and the nice guy secretly being a psycho as well, and it was going to be some sort of commentary on the nice guy idea. I thought they were going to take that to an interesting place. Instead, the I guess her story, I think her story is supposed to be true, right? Because they call her parents, and, and that becomes part of the ending as well. So I don't know how much of her story is supposed to be true, but I don't really like to take away from this that a traumatized woman is also the person most likely to be a murderer. Um, but uh, maybe I'm looking way too deep into these things. Just uh, if someone could elaborate a little more on that ending. Justine, so is the idea, this is what Eric Roberts says at the end, that like the parents of these kids paid to have them murdered? There's I, there's so much of it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, okay, one, I love how that, um, when she does the slingshot killing, Eric Roberts actually metatextually comments, haven't seen that one before. <laughs> right? It's, and we haven't. Um, I do think the human skull uh, with, like the human head apparently weighs eight pounds. I've seen, so I've seen think, Jerry Maguire too, okay. It could, it could cause some serious damage. I think it can kill you. Okay. Um, but I don't know if the parents were paying to have their kids killed. I guess they were. I guess that that's, that's what happened. Um, and I guess, like, they clearly all had... They're all fucked up. They're all, like... I'm like, I can't imagine... Maybe some of them were, like, had bad parents because they were being abused or whatever. But I think that most of their parents are assholes as well. Um, so I wouldn't put it past these parents who don't really appear on screen to kill their kids. I mean, their kids are obnoxious. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So the, um, there's actually an extra level to that ending that we haven't really been mentioning. So the Eric Roberts character, he has been orchestrating the whole thing. And he is intentionally uh, getting these kids killed off because, and I, this is my understanding from the movie, that each one of their parents has paid $2 million for him to off their kid. Uh, which, considering their backgrounds and their stories, which you get some insight into, seems like a lot of money for some of these kids who didn't really seem to do anything that horrible. I mean, most of them are pieces of garbage. But um, And then at the end, you also have 
uh, Danielle Harris, who has been in tons and tons of horror movies. She plays the sheriff of this town. <laughs> and uh, she is also in on this whole thing. Though you don't learn that until the very, very end. And, of course, Eric Roberts uh, both kills the girl who wins and he kills the sheriff and, I guess, gets away uh, scot-free. There's also one other male character, a guy who worked on his movies uh, back in the 80s, who was brought in near the beginning. I thought that guy was really good, like a, like an actual interesting character and a good actor as well. I should have written down his name now that I think about it. But do you th did I get that ending right, Todd? Is it that, that all the parents paid off the children and Eric Roberts gets away with it scot-free? Yeah, that's kind of what I took away from it. I know you tuned out at that point, so I just wanted to check in. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. That's what he said. Like, and then what he said right before he shoots the chick. The chick is that how we describe women now? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Maybe in Kentucky, <laughs> um, but <laughs> and Newfoundland. Um, so we got to talk about Eric Roberts. Most of the low budget cinema that we watch on this show of the last say five years, mm -hmm. featuring Eric Roberts, tends to be devoid of Eric Roberts. And honestly, Camp Dread fits into this category. To a point, but it's not Doc Holliday's Revenge or Revelation Road uh, level of Eric Roberts. You get a big chunk of him at the beginning. You get little bits of Eric Roberts all the way throughout, and then you get a big chunk of him at the end. And uh, one of the nice things about this movie is that it looks like he's trying. Maybe he's really energized by the idea of playing a complete and f fucking asshole. Uh, but he really does seem to kind of revel in some of the dialogue that he gets to deliver, which, you know, considering how checked out he sometimes seems in these low-budget projects, was actually fairly refreshing. Justine, what did you think of Eric Roberts? I know that you mentioned he's your favorite character, but what did you think of him in the movie? Well, he's in it more than I thought he would be, um, because I, I know that a lot of these low-budget films, when you have the big star, they're there for a, a token scene, right. um, and that's really what I was expecting. He actually plays a fairly prominent role without being too much in the film. Um, and he does deliver, like, strangely enough. Um, I already mentioned the last word thing, but I, lo I love that. Like, I can't emphasize how surprising that was to come so early in the movie for me to be like, damn, like, this is something that is just going to stick with me. And it's 90% because of how he delivers it. And the way he, like, shuts down everyone else, like, he establishes, he goes, you think that you're, like, you're young, you're you're hot, uh, you do whatever the fuck you want? I'm Eric fucking Roberts, man. <laughs> I have the last word. And, like, I was, I'm, like, just sold on it. I'm completely sold on Eric Roberts in this movie. I love that they did what... What they do in a lot of low-budget movies, which is, I mean, who knows how long Eric Roberts actually worked on the project, but they have, like, dozens of shots of him just looking at camera, like, uh, computer screens or television screens and commenting on it. So he appears all the way through the movie, but he's almost always just in a single room looking at a screen and you don't see what he's seeing. So, that, you know, it was, it was easy to kind of maximize your Eric Roberts' use in the movie as a whole. But his, his part at the beginning and his part at the end, I thought he did, he did a really strong job. I mean, look, this isn't Raggedy Man era Eric Roberts, which isn't to say that he's, his skills no longer exist, but it's really, you know, that movie probably took three months to film and he was there probably every day of the production and it's, it's a Hollywood production with an actual budget. This one, we're talking about a very different scale. He probably was only there for a few days, but with that context, I mean, it, it's actually 
a really impressive performance, at least to me. Todd, what did you think of Eric Roberts in Camp Dread? Uh, I was actually surprised that he was in it as much as he was, too, and surprisingly that he seemed to actually give a shit about what he was doing. It wasn't, you know, just show up, deliver the lines, and head off to the next project. He seemed to actually give a shit, and that was kind of refreshing, and he's easily the best part of the whole thing. Yeah, no, I think so, too. Uh, I don't want to dismiss Daniel Harris's part in the movie, but there really isn't much to it. Uh, But, I mean, it's part of the kind of gentle nod to fans of this kind of of cinema. Uh, And it is nice to see Eric Roberts at this point in his career. Again, I don't mean to keep going back to Doc Holliday's Revenge, but that is such a strangely distant performance (laughs) or something like a talking cat or something like that. (laughs) But here, I mean, I think he appreciated, he seemed to appreciate that this was a role that he could sink his teeth into. Um, it, It does seem very different from his usual personality that we see in movies these days. So it's nice. What I'm saying is low budget filmmakers write a big shitty role for Eric Roberts where he plays a complete asshole and, and he'll deliver every single time. Uh, so uh, let's see. I, I think it's about time. Let's let's say everyone seems to be proud of Eric Roberts' performance in this movie, but does it <laughs> confirm or refute the idea of this very podcast, which is that Eric Roberts is the fucking man? Let's start with you, Todd. You know, the fact that he could rise above the material and deliver a performance that makes me forget the rest of the, the shittiness that this film has to offer, I would say it definitely confirms that he's the fucking man. Rise above Justine, does he help the movie rise above your average slasher movie? I I actually think yeah. I'm I'm not going to say average. I mean, average in the slasher slasher genre is really tenuous. I mean, for me, it's really really great. And you've mentioned most of the great ones: Halloween, Black Christmas, and then the rest is kind of like different shades of shit. Mm-hmm. I don't really know <laughs> if there's an average slasher film. Um, I do think he makes it worth watching. He makes something super generic or possibly super generic kind of fun. And I don't think if it was someone else in the role or um, if he was not as into it, if this would be bearable. Like this, like if he, if he, if it was somebody else, like a generic B movie actor, I don't think this would be at all worth seeing so you're saying that eric roberts is the fucking man i am definitely saying that he is the fucking man well if you're listening mr harrison smith uh justine says that eric roberts makes your movie a slightly lighter shade of shit (laughs) (laughs) than it would have been without him uh i'm gonna say a a nice uh, a bright blue a baby blue shade of shit very unusual shade, uh, thanks to the performance of Eric Roberts. Yes, of course Eric Roberts is the fucking man. He is really the best thing about this movie, and which is not to say that it is unwatchable in any way. It very much is an average slasher movie, which has a few interesting plot elements, particularly at the end. And, you know, a decent performance from Mr. Eric Roberts. So with that in mind, two quality Eric Roberts performances on this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, that makes me overjoyed it, it really kind of it it makes me happy to my very soul let's take our final break and when we come back we'll talk about what we'll be covering on the final episode of the year for eric roberts is the fucking man we'll do that right after this
Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison Raggedy Man from 1981 and Camp Dread from 2014. You know, I should have asked the both of you, which uh, I think actually, Justin, you answered it. You said that if you had to watch one of these again, you'd probably go to Camp Dread. Todd, you seemed a little more uh, negative on Camp Dread. If you had to watch one of these two movies again, which one would it be? Actually, I would probably watch uh, uh, Raggedy Man again, easily. Oh, look at you. A little divisive. A divisive episode of Eric Roberts is the Funny Man, but I'm glad we all came together on the fact that Eric Roberts himself is, of course, the fucking man. Justine, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy writing schedule to spend a little time with us here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Now, I mentioned some of your credits at the beginning of the show, but that was only a few of many. I know that you are a tremendous writer and also a tremendous Twitter personality. Where can people find your work? Uh, well, I think you plugged my Twitter, but it doesn't hurt to plug it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me at Red Room Rantings. I write for a lot of sites, uh, most regularly um, Vague Visage, which is a French name, but is actually based in Fargo. Oh. Um, and my most recent article was um, for Cleo, a feminist film journal, which is basically the best film journal out there right now, and it's based in Toronto. Very nice. Yeah. And so it, 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 in terms of people keeping up on your work, they should add you on Twitter right now. That's where you can find most of it right now. Exactamundo. Exactamundo. That's good. Todd, where, where, can, where can we find you on the great big internet? You can find me on Twitter at The Film Fiend, or you can find me talking about horror over at Dread Central. DreadCentral.com. And, of course, you can find me over at DailyGrindHouse.com. I write over there. And you can find me over on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at NoBudgetPodcast.com. Or if you want to find out more about Eric Roberts or Eric Roberts is the fucking man, you can add us on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. Or if you want to check out the archives, go over to Eric Roberts is the man. Com. You want to get a little behind-the-scenes info, you can also hop over to our Facebook group. Just do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. On our next episode, our very special final episode of 2015, it's our Christmas special. Mm-hmm, that's right. Finishing off our very first year of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, we are going to be bringing on Sarah Kirchark, a Toronto-based writer who writes for uh, Consequences of Sound about film, but also writes about mixed martial arts and pop culture for Fightland, and is uh, obsessive about the television show Man from Uncle. She will be joining us to talk about two Eric Roberts holiday features, holiday classics, I will say. The first being Christmas in Compton, and the other one being An American Christmas Carol. Yes, both of these films featuring the man himself. What else do they feature? I don't know, but I guess we're going to find out in just a couple of weeks. Please join us on the next episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man for our Christmas special. Justine, thank you again so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully we can have you back once again, maybe when we talk about that Mariah Carey's video that we can't remember the title of. Uh, We belong together. Yeah, we do. I I agree. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the name of the song? That's the name of the song, yeah. And there's another one, too. Another Mariah Carey video. Of course, we'll be breaking down all the videos on an upcoming episode. Todd, do you have anything else to say to the people out there? I 
I have nothing else to say. Just listen to the podcast and have fun. Wow, it's a very kind thing to say. I'll just say good night, everybody, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.